All right, mind blown. You're going to want to stick for the, if you've ever listened to a 40-minute segment of podcasts, you're going to want to listen to this old guy, Nut Witterspoon, or whatever the fuck his name is, from uh, Tubigan, which is just down the road from where I'm at. Um, definitely a head-scratcher, totally worth your time, but I'm going to, I'm going to work through some uh, thoughts for full retard before, uh, before I, I dive into that 40-minute uh, recording. Uh, that you should definitely listen to. So please uh, do that. I don't know what to think. Correction, I know exactly what to think. Um, We should not have done what we've done. I've been on that bandwagon the entire time. F the numbers, whatever the media is telling you. They can go F themselves. Uh, They can't be trusted. Any three-letter Fox, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, any of those people, like you need to go read for yourself, do your own thing. Look at the numbers. That's totally fine. 1.4 million cases, 81,000 deaths. Comes out to be a 0.05% death rate on confirmed cases. I'm a firm believer in the fact that um, we don't know. So it's anywhere from 3 to 10 times, maybe even more. So maybe it's 3 to 10 million worldwide. Um, uh, And then probably more dead. Uh, That's another thing with how they're calculating uh, pneumonia deaths versus flu deaths versus uh, COVID deaths. I mean, they can associate it with COVID. It could be a pneumonia death that's COVID. It's not. There's a bunch of errors in the system. So these are just guesstimates. They're not really, they're, they're a little bit too specific, if you know what I mean. Uh, United States, it's just shy of 400,000 with uh, 12,500 total deaths. Um, 1,600 or 1,700 over the day that were associated with COVID. Um, 21,000 recovered, uh, 360,000 active cases, uh, just under or just over 9,000 of which are critical. Uh, And we've tested the most by far. Don't let, uh, we've tested double of the closest country, which is Germany. Uh, We have the most total cases, obviously, because that's where that's because we're testing the most. We have the most new cases because we're testing the most. Uh, Italy still leading the charge with deaths. Uh, with Spain, we are tracking up a close third. However, if you go per um, per million, we're down like tenth place or whatever for the United States. But good for them uh, that they're uh, they're doing all their tests and all their fun stuff. Uh, we don't know how many are infected. I think that's a fair statement. Um, and we don't know the actual mortality rate due to that fact. Well, you hear a bunch of this numerator denominator and you never thought you'd have to learn or relearn. Like, well, what's all this math stuff I did in in fourth grade? Like, I don't, I don't need to know numerators, denominators, and variants and variables and all this other bullshit. Well, apparently, if you're going to listen to any, anybody that speaks intelligently about this, you have, you got to, you got to know about that. So they don't know. They don't know how many, how many people are infected and they're, there's a, a, a close guesstimate. I mean, it's as good as it can be on the system that how many are dying of the of that. But then you just continue to see all these things where you can associate COVID deaths with basically a lot. And you're kind of incentivizing people to associate deaths with COVID because you get more federal funding, especially in the states. Uh, case in point, talked about it last time, the Connecticut uh, governor that said, hey, uh, we have the first infant m- fatality associated with COVID. Come to find out, it was actually uh, the caretaker had smothered the child. Uh, Not intentionally. It happened unintentionally. 
allegedly, whatever. I'm trying to get myself in trouble, but uh, but the the mayor ran with it, or the or the governor ran with it, and you know, the shit like that's going to happen. So you're going to see those things. So it could be woefully underreported and could be woefully overreported. So who knows? Um, it, I, I I still go back to the fact of my previous podcast. We don't have a, a journalist or medias that are going in there and saying, okay. What was it like a year ago, or or what is it like in regular flu seasons, or when we had a bad flu season last year or two years ago, where the hospitals overran? You're seeing a bunch of people go out and filming hospitals in New York, filming hospitals in their rural areas, and nothing's really going on. So what the fuck's going on? Um, we don't have we don't have a media in this country that wants to do that. They just want to tell you a fucking story, not the story. So uh, that's what this podcast is about: getting to the truth. Back in my nice little cozy spot uh, where I'm at. Where are the Laura Logans of the world? Um, so what kind of policy? Here's, a, here's an interesting question. When do you implement a policy that we've implemented? What's the number? Is it fifty to 100,000 deaths? If you say that, I think you're stupid because that happens every year in the flu season. And you lose 600,000, I believe, somewhere in that realm, to heart disease or cancer, whatever the case is. And we never did that with smoking. We never did that with vehicle accidents or flying or whatever the case is. So if that's your number, you're not a serious person, go away. Is it two to four million? Well, I don't know. That's a, that's worth a discussion. If, if the numbers were going two to four million, then we're kind of, um, you're getting there, right? You're having, having, your, having your fun story where we can kind of start talking about shutting certain things down but there should be emergency action plans in each of the cities to kind of slow these things down much unlike a hurricane hits new york or hits jacksonville you don't shut the country down you just kind of do um what you need to do for that particular area set up field hospitals bring the appropriate personnel in use the resources for the federal government i mean have a great time i mean that's going to be a whole host of discussions that's going to happen the, the democrats are doing it for the wrong reasons but the right things are going to come out uh, that uh, the previous administration and the previous administration that and then the CDC currently and FEMA currently were woefully un- unprepared for a bad flu season to occur. I'm no longer going to buy into the bullshit that this is something different. It's just a bad flu season. Um, another thing would be demographics. If this was affecting children or middle-aged people much more than it was, that's a totally different story. But this is, as you're going to find out in the follow-on interview by the professor, this is pretty much a normal thing. This shit happens every year. Um, fucking mind-blowing. The back of my head is fucking, the skull is fucking parched on the wall behind me. Um, predictive uh, models, uh, predictive for me, um, I think it's kind of the same. It's, it's very virulent. Um, it's hit a lot more people, so more people seem to be going down. Um, the media is making a big fucking fuss out of it because the internet uh, just... I don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We're fucking stupid. I, I think there's nefarious intent throughout all of this stuff that's going on. So um, I've totally lost faith in the, the media system in the United States. I have zero desire to watch anything uh, three-letter worded um, going on. Italy, Spain, France. Uh, the reason why they're having the issues that they're having is because they have socialized Medicare. or That's what I would narrow it down to. Um, they weren't prepared for the influx. Um Italy in particular, uh, cross-generational smokers, um, maybe the same for Spain, and then uh, France as well, a bunch of smoking. So it's a respiratory disease or pneumonia, 
and there you go. Uh, stimulus package. Why was there not? I didn't hear anything about researching and CDC funding in the uh, phase three stimulus bill. Please fucking let me know if you see something else. And then there's a stimulus for apparently going up. Well, I don't understand the economy at all. Um, drugs, dependency, suicides, 2008. Um, I wanted to look into those numbers, but we're doing so much more damage now to ourselves. The, uh, uh, it was a great fucking meme. Uh, it was swimming up. COVID was the baby shark. The crash of the economy was the big shark. And then the uh, megalodon was socialism. That all these people are now coming out against capitalism, and that's going to be the big struggle of our time. Uh, it was not, it was a good run while we had it, uh, so that's it's it. It's over. Like, yeah, it's over. Um, yeah, and then worldwide as well, uh, capitalism and the American way of life brought more people out of uh, poverty. GDP increases brought more people out of, out of poverty, and now we're wasting that away. So these effects are not just going to affect America but they're going to be worldwide effects. All this prosperity that we enjoyed for the past 10, 20, whatever, whatever odd years, 1950s, a bunch of people are going to die because of stupid decisions that were made at the highest levels of government. Um, and we're allowed to play these, these little charades, these games, uh, continue on because we're not serious people. They think they're being serious, but they're not having a objective look at what is actually going on um, and sacrificing the the many for the the one. So uh, a couple of treatments were bandied, bannered abound. There's uh, a plasma recombination, whatever the hell that is, uh, treatment, hydrochloroquine that Trump has been touting that everybody was like, oh, he should be crimes against humanity. He's trying to poison people and fish tank lady and blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. Now everybody's reversing their field. It actually is a blocker of some sort. Apparently it takes you down, whatever the case is. Um, working on a vaccine, uh, all these all these efforts are being done uh, to fix this one problem that everybody was woefully uh, unprepared for. Um, it'll be years until we get a vaccine in actuality because all the testing and all the BS that has to go. It's good for regulation to be dropped or do whatever, but there's going to be a bunch of 2030 like, well, did you receive a coronavirus vaccine in 2020? Call your lawyer, J.G. Wentworth, and we'll get you the help you need. Um, so, yeah. And then the, the final piece, or another piece that uh, to go through, was that you've already, I know it's kind of rambling, but you've already seceded your rights. So, congratulations, America. Your rights are gone. Um, you've sat in the, like, listen to this guy. Like, listen to him. It's nuts. It's a different perspective, but this guy's been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years Whatever the case, he's a virologist, and he's just kind of flabbergasted, I guess. He's got a, very, a real practical tone to it, and um, I, I wouldn't trust the China numbers, but he, he takes it. He, he brings up a good point that um, they wouldn't be able to hide the fact that if their hospitals were still full and everything was going crazy, they wouldn't be able to hide that. It would sneak out like much like some every now, every now and again something sneaks out of China, and that's what he brings up. So that kind of makes sense. Other than that, I don't, I don't trust the China numbers. But he's going to the point where we are doing everything you're not supposed to be doing. Like everything that we've done so far is the wrong thing. And the cost of this so far is $2.2 trillion, or maybe $6.2 trillion, depending on how you look at it. That's what the cost is to the decisions that we've made. And 
Uh, that's $8,000. I think $2.2 trillion of the bill was $8,000 per American. So good luck with that. Um, I don't know how we're going to do that. Like, we're just, I don't know, we're just going to keep making money up. Good luck. So that's only going to work uh, so far. So apparently containment is bad. Like, uh, so what we're doing, social distancing, all those other things that are fighting the herd immunity, stuff that you used to hear from grandma and grandpa when it came to chicken pox. Okay. So that's what you're going to hear in this interview uh, at the very end. Uh, Trump fucked up, and uh, the like Like I said previously, with the Harvey Weinstein guy, it makes total sense that you need to vote opposite. I'm not saying Joe Biden, but we need a principled leader in. Uh, I think the system's, system's broken. Like, can we really wait five years for a principled leader to show up? Like, we got to stop fucking playing games. Um, so, yeah. Uh, projections are dropping radically uh, to go down. There were supposed to be 2.2 million people died, 500,000 to die in the UK. Those models have gone down. They were climate alarmist models. I think this is a detrimental case for the modeling community. Um, yeah, so the Victoria's Secret people no longer going to be able to do stuff, and neither will the climate change people. Fuck those motherfuckers. Um, they've, they've assisted in the stirring into a frenzy. Um, incentives to report cases in the U.S. I already talked about that. Uh, you want to bump up your numbers and get more federal funding. Um, apparently the peak, according to Mr. Uh, Professor Nutt, was somewhere in March 24th. The, the pandemic has spiked, so we're just seeing the down effects. And everything that we're doing is causing it to... It will, we'll, we'll prolong it, and we'll bring along a second wave. Um Apparently, the advice to hesitate when you start feeling the effects, especially for the many vulnerable populations, um, the, the fact that we're, we're actually recommending people hesitate is making it worse and will kill you when you don't get the antibiotics and the other stuff to stop the pneumonia. So apparently, according to this professor, the virus doesn't kill you. It's the pneumonia that's caused by the virus that will kill you. So if you don't go in early to see your doctor, then you're you're screwed. If you don't have insurance, you're screwed. So that's kind of the stuff we're seeing uh, now. Apparently, the fact that we closed schools was a horrific fucking decision because that allows children to pass the disease on because it doesn't affect children uh, that often. So, which is which is obvious by the data that's been passed. We haven't seen any cases. I think there was one 17 year old, and that was suspect. It wasn't a coronavirus case. Like we haven't seen any deaths. We they had the I don't, I don't know of a, of a death. Maybe there's an 11-year-old death or whatever the case is. One, one of the 81,000 deaths that I can recall have been associated with somebody under 18 years of age, with the exception of the Connecticut infant, which was debunked by Candace Owens, and then the 17-year-old, which is, like, doubted uh, in California. Um, and then the, the, the last thing the guy said was that if you don't stand up your rights, or don't stand up for your rights... Um, then your rights will be forgotten. And that's what's happening in the states. So the ground has been ceded. Um, it's a new territory, and there's going to be a new placement for everything that's going on. Without further ado, uh, without further ado uh, Mr. Professor, whatever, like, listen, please, God, continue to listen. If you could just tell us your name and a little bit about your background. My name is Knut Witkowski. I was at the Rockefeller University for 20 years, head of the Department of biostatistics, epidemiology, and research design. 
And before that, I worked for 15 years with Klaus Dietz, one of the leading epidemiologists in the world in the German town of Tübingen at the Eberhaus Karls University. You gave recommendations for how best to deal with COVID-19. Could you just describe what you wrote? As with every respiratory disease, we should protect the elderly and fragile because when they get pneumonia, they have a high risk of dying of the pneumonia. So that is one of the key issues that we could, should keep in mind. On the other hand, children do very well with these diseases. They're evolutionary designed to be uh, exposed to all sorts of viruses in, during their lifetime. And so they should keep going to school and infecting each other, and that contributes to herd immunity, which means after about four weeks, at the most, the elderly people could start joining their family because then we, the virus would have been extinguished. You mentioned in the piece that, in fact, you think containment would prolong the duration of the, the virus. Yes. Can you talk about that? With all respiratory diseases, the only thing that stops the disease is herd immunity. About 80% of the people need to have had contact with the virus, and the majority of them won't even have recognized that they were infected or they had very, very mild symptoms, especially if they are children. So it's very important to keep the schools open and kids mingling to spread the virus, to get herd immunity as fast as possible. And then the elderly people who should be separated and the nursing homes should be closed during that time can come back and meet their children and grandchildren after about four weeks when the virus has been exterminated. And so what do you make of the policy that was enacted in, in the United States and England and most places throughout the world? This, this policy of containment, the shelter in place, etc. What, what's your opinion of it? Well, what people are trying to do is to flatten the curve. I don't really know why. But what happens if you flatten the curve, you also prolong to widen it, and it takes more time. And I don't see a good reason for a respiratory disease to stay in the population longer than necessary. And what do, what do you say to people who say, we just didn't know about the lethality of this uh, virus, and you know, we're, it, it was the smartest thing to do was just to, to basically uh, do what we did and contain everybody because we just didn't have the data? Oh, we had two other SARS viruses before. Uh, so, or coronaviruses. It's not the first coronavirus uh, that comes out and it won't be the last. And for all respiratory diseases, we have the same type of an epidemic. If you leave it alone, it comes for two weeks, it peaks and it goes for two weeks and it's gone. You uh, were speaking to my producer the other day on the phone and you said the, the pandemic is over. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? There are no more new cases in China and in South Korea. The number of new cases in Europe is already beginning to decline. The virus came later to the US, so here we see a bit of an incline maybe and leavening off within the next couple of days. And if we see that the cases are not 
increasing dramatically. That means that the number of new infections has already declined substantially and peaked about a week ago. Do you believe the Chinese statistics? Do you think they've lied to us? Do you, do you believe the stats that have come out of China? Uh, the epidemic has ended there, yes. Because otherwise we would see people uh, emerging and even in China, it's today very difficult to keep information under the hood. If there were lots of cases in hospitals, if the hospitals that they built, uh, the temporary hospitals were still full, we would hear that. This could not be suppressed. During the press briefing yesterday, uh, Fauci and, and the president and, and the rest of the people assembled were saying that had they not done the containment strategy that they have done, that uh, upwards of two million people would have died in the United States. What do you think of that figure? Well, I'm not paid by the government. So I, I'm entitled to actually do science. Uh, if the government hadn't, if there had been no intervention, the epidemic would have been over. Like every other respiratory disease epidemic. And how many, in your estimation, would have died? Would it have been that much? Okay, we have right now, let's take realistic numbers in the United States. We have about 25,000 cases every day. Our hospital system would have to deal with 2,500 patients every day for a certain period of time. That could be about three or four weeks, and then the number will dramatically decrease again and the whole epidemic will be over. And, and of those hospitalized cases, what, in your estimation, how many would die? Two percent will die. Of the hospitalized cases? Of all cases. Of all, all, of all symptomatic cases? Of all symptomatic cases. Two percent of all symptomatic cases will die. That is 2% of the 25,000 a day. So that is 500 people a day. And that will happen over four weeks. So that could be as high as 10,000 people. Now that compares to the normal numbers of flus during the flu season. And we have in the United States about 35,000 deaths due to flu every year during the flu season. So it would be part of the normal situation during the flu season. Are they reporting flu deaths this year or is everything just corona? Is there any statistic for flu death? Yeah, after? There, there is a flu statistic for flu that is currently at about 10,000, 12,000. So together with the corona deaths, it's about a regular flu season. You're basing these your estimate now on the on the latest available numbers. Yes. So what accounts then for the fact that hospitals are suddenly more overrun than they have been in a previous flu season, and for you know world leaders and the news media just going crazy? Funding for hospitals has, as everybody knows, not increased recently. So hospitals had to cut down and therefore they now have to run their emergency plans, which is not terrible. That's what they have been planning for for decades. 
So if they have to put up some tents in Central Park, uh, that's not the end of the world. The tents are there, they're maintained very well, and they will be there for a few weeks, three, four, maybe, and then the crisis will be over. This is not a situation nobody has ever thought about. Do you really think that there is a major shortage of masks and things like this? What? Masks and PPE and all this? What do you think about that? Why should there be a shortage of those things? People are getting crazy now and now. It's almost like the toilet paper sauce. I knew someone at a NICU two weeks ago in New York at NYU. Suddenly all the masks and all the hand sanitizer was gone. So what do you, what do you think happened there? Like the toilet paper. Shortages happen now and then all the time. Right, sure. And if you have a, somebody reporting what's happening that day in that hospital? Yeah. Possible. Yeah, sure. Does it reflect the state of the whole uh, hospital system in New York? Not necessarily. Right. What do you think about their latest figure that uh, because of, they claim that because of social distancing, uh, that we, we've saved ourselves from the two million dead, but that we are probably looking at 150 to 200,000 dead, though they've said that it's possible that it could be lower if we are really, really good about social distancing, et cetera. What do you think about their new estimate of death? Yes. Social distancing definitely is good. It prevented the sky from falling down. Are you being ironic? <laughs> of course. I don't know where these numbers are coming from. They're totally unrealistic. There are no indications that this flu is fundamentally different from every other flu. We know what happened in China. We know, we know what happened in South Korea. We know what happened or is happening in Europe. There are no indications that anything is different from a regular flu. Maybe one that's a bit more, bit worse than other flus. Could be. For a respiratory disease, the flu ends during springtime when people spend more time outdoors because outdoors the viruses cannot easily spread. That, that is a form of containment. So, so spending so we, more time outdoors. So we we're now spending more time indoors. We've been told to go indoors. Isn't that doesn't that help keep the virus going? We're healthy. It keeps the virus healthy. Yeah. So we should be told to go outdoors. Yeah. But going outdoors is what stops every respiratory disease. People will say that the reason why China came out of this okay in the end is because they went into such severe lockdown. What do you say to that? They had an advantage that in the beginning they didn't know what they were dealing with. So it took them a long time to start the containment or social distancing. 
which in the course of the ep epidemic is good because there was enough time for the virus to reach herd immunity before the social distancing started. Now, it's interesting uh, that you say that because at Imperial College, you know, Neil Ferguson they, has, has changed his estimate of the number of dead in England from 500,000 to 20,000 or less. And he says that that is because of social distancing. Now, we also know that the, uh, the way in which social distancing was implemented in England was not very uh, severe or extreme or efficient. So this was after one day of lockdown, he announced that, in fact, it would be uh, 20,000 or less. Is there any possibility that th that number would have changed that way because of the social distancing? No. <laughs> and actually, we have data for that. I looked into a claim that people make that in China and South Korea, the social distancing had successfully helped to control the epidemic. I looked at the dates when people actually started social distancing. In China, the epidemic peaked on February 1 to February 5th in that period. But the schools were not closed until February the 20th. That was two weeks later. In South Korea, we have a similar pattern. In Daegu, or however that city is being pronounced, where the church of Shin Yoi had that outbreak, the self-quarantine was ordered only on February the 23rd, when the peak in that city happened. The national distancing was not advised until February the 29th, so that's a week later, when the national peak happened. So both in China and in South Korea, social distancing started only long after the number of infections had already started to decline and therefore had very little impact on the epidemic. That means they had already reached herd immunity or were about to reach herd immunity. They were very close, but by installing the social distancing, they prevented it to actually getting to the final point and this is why we are still seeing new cases in South Korea several weeks after the peak. You said that this is the sort of contagion because it's airborne that you can't deal with by doing tracing or by social distancing. Explain why that is. The one thing is then tracing with a sexually transmitted disease, which is difficult enough, as we know from AIDS. Most of people will know whom they had contact with, sexual contact with, over the last two weeks. Um, as a human being uh, traveling the subway in New York and doing other things in New York that we just have to do in New York, I couldn't tell you who the 
two, three, four hundred thousand people are I came in contact with over the last two weeks. So contract tracing for a respiratory disease is impossible. Why doesn't containment work for an airborne disease? You cannot stop the spread of a respiratory disease within a family, and you cannot stop it from spreading with neighbors, with uh, people who are delivering, who are uh, physicians, anybody. People are social, and even in times of social distancing, they have contacts, and any of those contacts could spread the disease. It will go slowly, and so it will not build up herd immunity, but it will happen. And it will go on forever unless we let it go. Let me ask you, you don't feel this requires a vaccine? We don't have a vaccine against the common cold. We don't have, we have some vaccines against flu, but they are not that effective. Um, would it be nice to have a vaccine against SARS? Yeah, would be nice. Would, would help to create herd immunity a bit faster. Because those who have the vaccine are already immune. But those who don't, they just need to be exposed to become immune. You could get this immunity naturally. For some reason, that we haven't fully understood yet. Humankind has survived all sorts of respiratory diseases. Nature has a way of making sure that we survive. Now this morning, all the TV doctors were on saying that, because obviously they're starting to read some of these pieces about um, the statistics being off, et cetera. And so there you have Dr. Jennifer Aston on ABC, and I forget the others, saying this is more contagious than any seasonal flu or the H1N1, and you know this is why we have to take it so seriously because it's so much more contagious. Is that just ridiculous? I don't know where that opinion comes from. We have no, the data that we have speaks against it. And what data do we have, and, and what, where, where are you getting your We data? have seen, well, you can download the data from the European CDC every day, the data all over the world, and you can analyze it, and that's what I have done, and probably other people have also done. Okay, so what, is this, what, what does this graph tell you in general? It tells us that they are no, the numbers in Europe are not increasing anymore of cases. The death follow it by about a week, and that's normal because people die after they develop the disease. But the important thing is that the number in, of infection peaked around a week ago and is already on the decline. The European data includes the data in France where suddenly the number of cases doubled from one day to the next. This is somebody find, finding a box of reports in an office 
and sending them in and said, oops, we forgot to report that over the last month. So this, the epidemic in France is not increasing anymore, even though somebody found a couple of reports in a shoebox. And why, when, when they, won't, won't governments just say that's because we did, we practice social distancing? I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know what other people think. I'm a scientist. We can see that in China, in Korea, the epidemic went down and the epidemic did exactly what every other epidemic did and it's not that 400% of all people died. Maybe it's three rather than 1%, maybe. But it's not, nothing is fundamentally different from the flus that we have seen before. Every couple of years there's a flu that's a bit worse than the other flus were and it goes away in exactly the way the other flus went away. And this one behaves exactly the same way. The epidemic has ended in China, at least in the provinces where it was. It has ended in South Korea. In Europe, it's declining and will be ending anytime soon. Could be a bit longer than typically because of the containment, which flatten and prolong the epi epidemic. And so if we really, that's really good if we want to be affected by it as long as it gets. Um, and in the United States, we're doing the same thing. We are prolonging the epidemic uh, to flatten the curve, but eventually it will end. But speaking of the numbers, I noticed in your paper you said that, that in mid-March, there was a change in the reporting system. What was that all about? This is not the first time it happens. On March 20th, Germany changed its reporting system and suddenly a lot of cases that had not been reported before were reported. But this is not a sudden increase in, in cases. Overall, this had no impact on the dynamics of the German epidemic. It increased until about March 27th or so, and has been stable or declining since. The problem in this diseases that reporting and diagnosing are not separated and recorded differently. In the AIDS epidemic, every case was reported with a day of diagnosis and a day of reporting. For whatever reason, this standard developed during the AIDS epidemic is not being employed here. So we cannot deconvolute this data. In Italy, there was a spike on one day, there was a spike on one day in Norway, but we have seen now so many of these spikes, they last for one day, and then the, epidemic, the numbers go back to where it was before. So we are not really scared anymore if we see something 
changing very fast. Nature doesn't jump. As people have known for a long time, the course of an epidemic is always smooth. There is never a tenfold increase in number of cases from one day to the other. There is nothing to be scared about. This is a flu epidemic like every other flu, maybe a bit more severe, but nothing that is fundamentally different from the flus that we see in other years. What do you think accounts for the difference in the response this time than, say, to the swine flu in 2009? Why, why, why are we suddenly so much more panicked and having shut the world down? What do you think is going on? I think at least one factor is the Internet. People are using the Internet now much more often, and so news, wrong or false, are spreading the globe within hours, if not minutes. And so, let's say 50 years ago, we would have heard, in the, we would read in the paper that about a week ago, there was an epidemic of flu in the United States or in China or somewhere else. And at that time, it was already over. So people would say, okay, that happens all the time. Now, what we read is, oh, there were 785 cases in the Vatican for two days. Uh, maybe not. Uh, and even if it, were, it was a reporting error, it was, these stories are circulating the world and contributing to chaos and to people being afraid of things they shouldn't be afraid of. And what do you think are the possible health risks of the policy that we are following now, the shelter in place? Well, we will see maybe a total of fewer cases that is possible. However, we will see more cases among the elderly because we have prevented the school children from creating herd immunity. And so in the end, we will see more death because the school children don't die, it's the elderly people who die. We will see more death because of this social distancing. So we keep being told now about the second wave that will come in the fall. Now, tell us what your thoughts about the second wave are and, and how it seems like everything you're saying is that we will have a second wave because of social distancing. Because, yes. Okay, so could you say that in a sentence for me? Okay. If we had herd immunity now, there couldn't be a second wave in autumn. Herd immunity lasts for a couple of years, typically, and that's why the last SARS epidemic we had in 2003. It lasted 15 years for enough people to become susceptible again so that a new epidemic could spread of a related virus. 
because typically there's something that we call cross-immunity. So if you were exposed to one of the SARS viruses, you are less likely to fall ill with another SARS virus. So if we had herd immunity, we wouldn't have a second wave. However, if we are preventing herd immunity from developing, it is almost guaranteed that we have a second wave as soon as either we stop the social distancing or uh, that climate changes with winter coming or something like that. But because this is an airborne illness, it sounds to me as though social distancing wouldn't even have prevented more people from getting it, right? I mean, it, it, it already spread because it's airborne, because it lives on surfaces. It, they, by the time England or the U.S. shut down, it had probably already gotten all around, right? Um, unfortunately, it seems that in Western countries, where the story of China was already known, people started with social distancing as imperfect as it is before the epidemic could reach the level that is needed to develop herd immunity. I see. And so, to summarize, you, you were saying that's going to flatten and extend the epidemic and create the second wave that we are being told to fear. Yes. The second wave is a direct consequence of social distancing. That's wonderful to hear. We already know that the social distancing cost the US taxpayer $2 trillion. In addition to everything else that it costs, but it also has severe consequences for our social life. And depression is definitely something that we will be surging. I can say from myself, walking through New York City right now is depressing. So what do you think, what should, should we tolerate this? Should we stand for staying in, in sheltered in, in a house arrest uh, till uh, April, what is it, April 30th they April want? 30th, yeah. I, I mean, do, do they, is, is that what we ought to do or should we perhaps be resisting? We should be resisting and we should at least hold our politicians responsible. We should have a discussion with our politicians. One thing we definitely need to do, and that would be safe and effective, is opening schools. Let the children spread the virus among themselves, which is a necessity to get herd immunity. That was probably one of the most destructive actions the government has done. We should focus on the elderly and separating them from the population where the virus is circulating. We should not prevent the virus from circulating among school children, which is the fastest way of, to create herd immunity. And can you explain just one more time, as clearly as you can, what's the concept with, with natural herd immunity? What, what happens to the virus uh, when it's gone through the population in the way you're describing? 
If 80% of people have had contact with the virus and are therefore immune, and that typically that contact is just a form of immunization. So there is no disease, there's nothing happening, and still there is immunity. If 80% of people are immune, and a somebody has a virus and is infectious, it will be very difficult for that infectious person to find somebody who is still susceptible, not immune. And therefore, this person will not infect anybody else, and therefore we won't have the, the disease spreading. That is herd immunity. And what happens to the virus? What happens to the virus at that point? Well, viruses don't live technically, but the virus will eventually be destroyed. I see. Uh, unless, right now, it is that dry cleaners, or my dry cleaner, uh, closed down because of COVID. So I can't get my clothes cleaned. And so if there should be viruses on my clothes, which is possible, I can't not get them cleaned at the dry cleaner because the dry cleaner um, is a non-essential service and therefore closed down. We are experiencing all sorts of counterproductive consequences of a not well thought through policy. Yeah, what, should, should there be a major testing regime in place where the whole population is tested and is that, should that be a prerequisite for us coming out any answer with two letters will do. No. So, so, so just to describe why testing is not productive. It, testing doesn't stop anything by itself. Testing could give us, if we do antibody testing, not testing for the actual virus, if we do antibody testing, we would actually get an estimate of how close we are to herd immunity. That could be useful. But testing for people who are infectious means they probably have already been for two or three days, meaning for half of their infectious period. Uh, now they're being tested positive. What are they supposed to do? Uh, we are already having social distancing. Uh, they can't do much more than what they're already doing. Testing for respiratory disease is neither necessary nor effective. Now, you, you said, you mentioned earlier that you have asthma, and I, I, I'm guessing you're over 40. Are, are you? A bit, yes. Yeah. Are, 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 are you at all nervous about? No. Why, why aren't you nervous? Okay. We don't die of the virus. We die of pneumonia. So if we have a virus, respiratory disease, the disease, once the body has created antibody, the immune system has created antibodies, the antibodies are, or the immune system is killing all infected cells, which destroys much of the mucosa. And bacteria can easily settle on that destroyed mucosa and then cause Pneumonia, and it is the pneumonia that is killing people if it's not treated. I had a virus, whatever it was, maybe it was uh, 
who knows, uh, about three weeks ago. And my physician gave me the antibiotics I should take if the disease gets better and then gets worse. Because that is a sign of pneumonia, and then we have to treat the mono pneumonia. And pneumonia is what's treated with antibiotics? because it's Pneumonia is what's treated with antibiotics, not the viruses. Okay, so, so you feel that it's, you, you may have already had COVID-19. Uh, okay, at the end of that experience, which reminds me of Camus' plague, a plague. Plague, yeah. Um, if you ever read it, you will see lots of parallels, unfortunately. So, no, I am not scared. I may have had it, like many other people, who had a mild flu, like I had, or had no symptoms whatsoever. That is the normal thing happening to 70% of the people in the end, or even 75. And it is the remaining that get ill and need treatment. And they should seek treatment as early as possible. You shouldn't wait, and it's definitely helpful if you have health insurance. The problem in cities like New York is there are too many people who don't have health insurance. And if you don't have health insurance, you're hesitant to see your doctor. And if you're hesitant, you see the doctor too late. And if the pneumonia has already progressed and you see your doctor, it's too late to for antibiotics to be effective, and you may die. The best way is isolate if you're old and fragile, and if you get the disease, see your doctor as soon as possible. 75% you say won't get any symptoms, maybe even 80%, right? Could be. Or, or is it more? Do we know what that rate is right now? Uh, we don't know what it is right now. For that, we would need to do antibody testing and very wide antibody testing. However, we already see the epidemic declining. And that is a sign that we have at least a substantial proportion of people who are immune. It may not be enough for herd immunity. We may not have reached the 80% that we need, but we may have 50%. And so what do you think we should do at this point? Should we pivot to what you suggested earlier? Or, what, what do we, or is it too late for what you suggested? It's difficult to tell. It may be too late. It may not be too late. The problem is, if we are artificially keeping the number of infections low among low-risk people, like school children and their parents, we may not have reached herd immunity yet. So if we are stopping, we may have an increase in the number of new infections. That is the downside of starting containment. We should not believe that we are more intelligent than Mother Nature was when we were evolving. Mother Nature was pretty good at making sure that we're a good match for the diseases that we happen to see virtually every year.
But is this a pandemic? <laughs> That's the big question. It is question. a pandemic, like every flu, every year is. A pandemic, yeah. yeah. So is there anything else you want to say about this? About, is, what's been aggravating you the most, or what, what would you like people to know? I think people in the United States, and maybe other countries as well, are more docile than they should be. People should talk with their politicians, question them, ask them to explain. Because if people don't stand up to their rights, their rights will be forgotten. I'm Knut Witkowski. I was at the Rockefeller University. I have been an epidemiologist for 35 years and done modeling of epidemics for 35 years. It's a pleasure to have the ability to help people to understand, but it's a struggle to get heard.